We are in 2 Samuel 9. You may have noted the title, David's Loving Kindness to Jonathan. And you might, if you've read the text of 1 and 2 Samuel, you realize Jonathan's been dead for years. He died in battle way before this chapter. He died in 1 Samuel. So why are you calling this David's loving kindness to Jonathan? Well, I'll, I'll seek to explain this. And this is kind of an extra long introduction, not typical of me, but I think it's helpful uh, to understand the text. And so I'm going to introduce you to three words. You may be very familiar with them. Um, two English words and a Hebrew word. One is typology. The second one is called chesed. You may have thought it was just my allergies acting up there, but that's not, that's not correct. It's, it's from the Hebrew word chet, and that's the way you're supposed to say it. And I'll explain what that word means in a moment. And then the third word, which is the English word covenant. And I'm going to tie all three of these together in the chapter. And the reason why I particularly chose this text, Moy asked me a poignant question a while back. He said, on your first Sunday, where are you going to go? <clears throat> And that ain't easy, folks, because there's 66 books here. Um, but in praying through it, I thought, you know, I think I'm going to go with probably, uh, probably my favorite chapter of the Old Testament and one that really showcases the grace of God, because that's what it all goes back to in our lives. So let me explain these three terms. First off, typology, one of the definitions, kind of a decent working definition is, typology is a person or thing in the Old Testament that overshadows a person or thing in the New Testament. I would say typically that's the case. So to give you an example, Jesus says, as Jonah spent three days and three nights in the great fish, so the Son of Man will spend three days, three nights in the heart of the earth. So what, did that really happen to Jonah? Yes, it did. And yet, was it also a type of what Christ would do. As Jonah was, as if you will, a dead man in the great fish, so Jesus will have died and be put in the earth. We also see in 1 Timothy 3 that Peter, by inspiration of the Spirit, talks about the flood. And the flood is a type of our baptism, that when we go down in the water, we're going down as if into death, but God raises us from the dead. Uh, and certainly he does that through the work of the Spirit when a person trusts in Christ. So let me give you some types for this chapter. King Saul, who's also not in this chapter, but hopefully you know his story. He's now dead in this chapter, uh, but he's a type of Adam. As Adam, when, his, uh, when Adam fell, so Saul's kingship fell. And when that happened, it wasn't just Saul who fell, it was in his entire family line. And that's what happened to us in the garden. When Adam fell, we all fell. Uh, Jonathan. Jonathan here is a type of Christ. Jonathan served as the mediator between Saul and David, much in the same way that Christ serves as our mediator between God the Father and us. We have David. David here is playing a type of God the Father. In mercy, King David, we'll see, shares his kingdom with Saul's fallen line. Why would he do that? It's only because of a previous covenant he made with his best friend. You see, and I'm getting ahead of myself here, but the only reason you and I are saved today 
is because we are in Christ Jesus. But there's another reason, and that is because God the Father, before time even began, decided to give a gift to the Son, and it was be a redeemed people. And the Son decided, as they worked together as a trinity, as he would pay the price, the bride price for us. And in his own time and way, the Spirit would draw each of us to the King. The Trinity works all these things out for his glory and our good. So much in the same way, David had a deal worked with Jonathan, his best friend, that would so benefit this little guy named Mephibosheth we'll talk about. Well, I'm already there. Mephibosheth is a picture of us, fallen man. He's disabled due to sin. We deserve death from a righteous king, much in the same way he does. And yet, due to the king's mercy, we now sit at his own table as sons and daughters of the king. So, that's typology. Now, let me explain this Hebrew word, chesed. It's a Hebrew term, and you find it in three different places. Verse 1, verse 3, and verse 7. And it's typically translated as kindness. But the difficult part about this word, y'all is it doesn't really translate very well into any English word. Uh, here are some of the definitions. Kindness, loyal love, grace, mercy. And it, get this, though. It's used over 250 times in the Old Testament. In 1536, there's a guy named Miles Coverdale who was trying to uh, interpret, uh, translate the scriptures into the English and he comes across this word chesed, and he doesn't know how to answer it. He's like, we don't have a word. So he makes up his own word. We know it as loving kindness. I think it's actually the best one out there. But the English, tra- uh, uh, English translation that I'm reading from today translates it as kindness. So listen for it, okay? Last thing I'll say about this Hebrew word is it's used so many times in the Old Testament. It will remind you of a New Testament word called grace, which is kind of the overarching term, or at least one of them, the overarching terms of the New Testament. And you know what that shows me? The same God of the New Testament is the same God of the Old Testament. He didn't change. There's no difference. I never forget hearing a guy preach one time, and he said, you know, when I studied the Old Testament, I didn't think I liked the Lord. But when I study the New, I find I love him. And we're laughing because that's such bad theology. That's awful theology. It's the same God. And I want to show you that as we study this Hebrew word chesed. And finally, the, this last term that I want you to know about is covenant. Covenant. You see, the way it works is that God, uh, this word chesed or loving kindness is given to another person due to a covenant made. You see, the covenant is when one willingly gives binding promises to another. And that's what we have with David and Jonathan. They are in covenant with one another. And get this, it doesn't only affect them, it affects their descendants as well. Some of you know what I mean by covenant, I think. It's a marriage. Marriage is a covenant. When Rebecca and I stood at the front of the church and we said things like, in sickness and in health, I hope we meant it. I hope you meant it. And yet, there's times we hear about marriages and they say, well, they've changed. The person just changed. When I read sickness and in health, I'm seeing change. 
Let me tell you about a guy that kept his covenant, a guy named B.B. Warfield. He was a Princeton professor. While studying in Germany in 1876 with his bride, he was also having his honeymoon with his wife there, Annie. One day as they were walking in the Hartz Mountains, they were caught up in a terrible uh, thunderstorm. The nightmare was such a shock to Annie's system, she never fully recovered. From that time onward, Warfield never left her side for more than two hours at a time, mostly teaching from his own house while caring for his wife for the next 39 years. One of the students noted when he saw the Warfields out walking on the campus saying, the gentleness of Warfield's manner was striking proof of, your, of the loving care with which he surrounded her. That's a man that keeps his covenant. One other aspect to note is this. Even if you're not married today, let me tell you what, you know, you're in covenant as well today. You're in covenant with the Lord Jesus Christ, the vertical aspect and the horizontal aspect with one another who are in Christ. And if you say, well, I don't, don't really want to be. God's not really asking your opinion on it. You have the spirit in you. So in 1 Corinthians 12, 26, where it says, when one part suffers, how many parts suffer? We all. One rejoices, we can rejoice with them as well. So we are all in the body of Christ. We are in covenant with one another. Now let's take a look at what the word of God has to say about typology, chesed, and covenant. We are in 2 Samuel chapter 9. Let's consider this. This is the word of God. Verse one, and David said, is there still left anyone of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? There's that word kindness. That's our word, Hebrew term. Uh, David here remembers the covenant that he made years back with Jonathan. Let me remind yourselves of it. First Samuel 20, verse 13 through 15. Jonathan said to David, May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. If I am still alive, will you not show me the loving kindness, this loyal love, the grace, the mercy that of the Lord that I may not die? You shall not cut off your loving kindness from my house forever, not even when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So David here is reminding himself, God really is reminding him, uh, while he sits on the throne, he's reminded of this previous covenant he made with his best friend. And so note what he says in verse one. He wants to show this covenant of loving kindness for Jonathan's sake. When you take a look in the 21st century, some folks are kind of hard to forgive, right? And yet the Bible says in Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ has forgiven you. You know what that means. That means forgiving others is always based upon Christ's forgiveness of us. That means this, you can forgive anyone of anything because you yourself have been forgiven of everything. And so David says, I'm gonna show kindness. I'm gonna show loving kindness for Jonathan's sake. And for us, we forgive because of Jesus' sake. Verse two through four, now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David, and David said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? 
Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan who is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to him, said to the king, he is in the house of Makir, the son of Amiel at Lodibar. Now, let me give you some chronology that you might find helpful to understand this scripture a little bit better. It's been roughly 15 to 20 years since David and Jonathan made their covenant. And this might be a shock to some of you, what I'm about to say. Jonathan, in all likelihood, according to the text, is probably 10 years older than David, maybe as much as 15 years. I know for some of you that blows the mind because you've got the little Jonathan and David statues and they look like two little boys. They're roughly the same age. Actually, in the text, is really clear and we can uh, kind of work that out later, but suffice it to say, Jonathan was to David like a, an older brother or even an uncle. Uh, and they loved each other as they loved themselves. We see here also in the text that Mephibosheth was age five when he suffered a physical tragedy. Second Samuel 4, 4, you can read it on your own, but suffice it to say that his nurse heard that Saul and Jonathan had died in battle. She picks up Mephibosheth and she runs. And it seems that she tripped. And as she did, he fell, making him disabled for life. Then we've got David. David at this point has reigned seven and a half years in Hebron. After that, he moved his capital to Jerusalem uh, where he has worked on um, fighting and things of this nature. Uh, and then finally, we have Mephibosheth at this age, and he's probably about 20. Uh, he already had a son, son named Micah or Mika. Uh, so he's, he's probably about 20 years old, as most people would think. One other character to mention is Ziba. Ziba is a servant of the household of Saul. And it makes you wonder, does Ziba even know who Mephibosheth is? He seems to know of him, but remember, he's the house of Saul. He works with Saul's house, and maybe he doesn't know Mephibosheth that well. Maybe he hasn't seen him in years because he's not been serving him, obviously. We'll see. Um, I think one other thing is interesting, and that is this. David says, is there anyone of the house of Saul that I may show loving kindness to? Now, isn't that interesting? He doesn't say the house of Jonathan. He says the house of Saul. What is David doing? David is extending his loving kindness to the house of Saul. And remember, Saul chased after David for 10 years, called him an outlaw, wanted him dead time and time again. And that shows us as believers something else, does it not? Matthew 5, do good to everyone who does good to you. No, that's not true. I'm testing you. Some of you failed. I heard you go amen over here. No, no, no. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who abuse you. You see, David does that well, but I don't want to talk about David. I want to talk about Mephibosheth for just a moment. What a tragedy. Some of us in this room may have even gone through that personally, or you have kids or parents or friends that have gone through tragedy. I myself have gone through it as well, not personally as much perhaps, but shortly before Rebecca and I met, I had a roommate who is riding a motorcycle out in Monahans, the sand dunes out there, out in West Texas. 
Um, some of you have been there before. It's a lot of fun. He was going over one sand dune. In particular, he did not know it had been carved out by the wind. He went over the hill and came down on a man on a four-wheeler. Man on the four-wheeler broke his arm. My roommate never walked again. Tragedy. There's no answers. I think at times like that, as I mentioned earlier, believers shouldn't give flippant answers. Probably shouldn't be so quick to, to pull up that God is working all these things together for good. It's scripture and it's truth. But what does the Bible say to those who are weeping? We weep with those who weep, Romans 12, 15. And certainly with time, we, uh, we give them other, other scripture and we pray for them. But remembering in those times of sovereignty, sovereignty reigns over all things. So we can say in Psalm 139, verse 16, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So I used to use the phrase, the book hadn't been written yet. That's not true. The book has been written. Problem is, we haven't read it yet. We read it as we go along in life. Charles Spurgeon, it, back in London in the 19th century, put it like this, believe it, Christian, nothing occurs here without the permit or the decree of your Savior. Nothing. You see, when Adam fell, which is our representative, you fell too. Original sin. And yet we also sin by choice every day as well. Sadly, it wasn't even Mephibosheth's fault. The nurse fell and he fell. When Adam fell, we fell. So Mephibosheth now lives in another man's house, Makir. And, and you got to hand it to Makir. It's kind of him. Proverbs 11.25 says, He who waters will himself be watered. And yet, note this. Mephibosheth is living in a place called Lodibar. You know what that is in Hebrew? No pasture. Talk about a bad name for trying to sell property. <laughs> no pasture. And the custom at that time was, note this, is a new king kills all of the previous dynasty. It's just, it's nothing personal. It's just what happens. Mephibosheth, in all likelihood, I think is fearful, and I think he's hiding, because what we'll see in these next few verses. Verse 5 and 6, then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodibar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, behold, I am your servant. This verb here, when it says, David sent and brought him, I think the King James actually does a better job of rendering it. The King James says, and they fetched him. They fetched him. You know what that means? Mephibosheth didn't want to go. They have to take him. Let's go. And Mephibosheth may have been thinking, I knew this day would come. He falls on his face, paid homage. That means he prostrates himself before David, face to the floor. And you can imagine David being a typical thing, uh, king and just saying, hey, this is nothing personal, but you know this is coming. You've lived longer than you should have. I'm the new king. You're the old dynasty. We're going to have to put you to death. 
you wonder, doesn't Mephibosheth know about the covenant his dad made with David? Probably not. He's five years old when his dad dies. He doesn't know. And you can't help but wonder, what did Jonathan mean when he made this covenant with David in this Hebrew word chesed, the loving kindness? He said, will you show loving kindness to my descendants? Well, this is amazing mercy on David's part because I'm certain what that would have meant is that you won't kill my descendants. Does David kill his, his uh, son uh, Mephibosheth? No, and he goes far beyond just not killing him. Much in the same way that our Lord does the same thing with us. Genesis 2.17, he told our first parents, on the day you eat of it, and it says in the Hebrew, on the day you eat of it, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die, die. It says it twice. We translate it, you will surely die. Certainly, it means the same thing. And the idea is that God is going to let them live in spite of that. He's not only going to let them live, knowing that they will die, he's going to even offer them eternal life like he does with each of us as well. Verse 7 and 8, let's see what David does. And David said to him, do not fear, for I will show you kindness. There's our word. For the sake of your father, Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. Again, he paid homage face to the floor and said, what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? What's the first thing David says? Do not fear. Now, one of y'all asked me a question earlier and you said, do you teach exegetically or you teach thematically? And I would say you always go with the text, exegetical. But you know what's fascinating about exegetical verse-by-verse exposition? The themes just float up to the top. You take them right there, and you can teach on them. Fear. Is fear good or bad for a believer? You'd say it depends, right? Depends. Y'all are trying to redeem yourselves over here, I noticed. It depends, And I found this so helpful, and it's not because I said it, it's because the Bible said it. If you've ever wondered, is it good or bad? And the answer is yes and and no. Exodus 20, verse 20, you need to memorize. uh, Because it really defines, is, is fear, it's wrong if it's terrifying, but it's right if it's beneficial. And so what does God say here as he's given the Ten Commandments? He tells them, do not fear. He's referring to terrifying fear. For God has come to test you that the fear, same word, of him may be before you so that you will not sin. What is the Lord saying using the same word in the same uh, verse? He's telling them the same thing that we see in 1 John 2.18. There's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. So note this. God says, I don't want you to be terrified. You're my people. But at the same time, I'm going to give you this law in Exodus 20 so that the fear of me will basically drive you to obedience, a sort of reverential fear. So the beneficial fear is good. Terrifying fear is not good. So what is Mephibosheth showing here? Well, I would put it like this. It's not wrong for Mephibosheth to rightly fear the king. We should. We should have a reverence, uh, a, a beneficial fear about that, and yet at the same time, David's saying, don't be terrified of me. I know your daddy. And he, he, uh, rather, I said Jesus, but 
David is just such a picture of this. The reason why you don't have to be afraid is I'm going to give you three promises. Number one, protection. I will surely show chesed. I will surely show loving kindness to you for the sake of your father, Jonathan. For believers, is it not the same for us? We have been shown kindness. We have been covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's why the Lord can show us this kindness. Protected, protected from the divine wrath of God forever. Secondly, restoration, restoration. He says, I will restore to you all the land of your grandfather. All that land that was lost or forfeited since King Saul's reign is going to be given to you. I can't help but wonder if maybe Ziba had taken some of that land. We'll mention that in another moment. But the way it works for believers today, all of the honor that our father Adam lost is given back to us simply because of Jesus Christ. And so one day, get this, y'all, one day we don't turn, return to Eden. We return to something better than Eden. We have the tree of life. We've got the, uh, the river of life. And if you will, we are in a garden, but it's a garden city. And it's a beautiful thing, and it's coming soon. Yeah. Finally, the third thing, this is the one that just excites me. He says, you're going to eat at my table always. So it's not just protection. It's not just restoration. We're going to eat together. Mephibosheth, note this. He comes from low debar, meaning no pasture, to eating at the king's table. As one of the commentators writes, David not only saves Mephibosheth from the shadow of death, he prepares a table for him. And isn't that true of us as well? Ephesians 2.19, we Gentile dogs are now members of the household of God. In Luke 22.30, we know that one day believers will eat and drink at his table in his kingdom. Now, note this. We eat and drink at his table in the Lord's Supper. And it's a beautiful thing. And it's a wonderful thing. But we do it until how long? Until he comes. Because something the Lord knows about us is he knows that even though the Lord's Supper is a beautiful thing, and it's a wonderful thing, it's a gift of God, it's still not as good as it will be with him physically in the flesh, right? So what's Mephibosheth's response? I'm a dead dog. What are you doing talking like this to me? I'm a dead dog. A dead dog is, it doesn't, it doesn't need to be translated to 21st century context. It's useless, it's contemptible. We get rid of it. Well, that should be our response to our own salvation, should it not? Yes, we are made in the image of God, just to be clear. But when we fell in the garden, the image of God was not erased, but it was defaced. Definitely. And we see in Ephesians 2, 3, that we are now children of wrath. Unless the Lord in his kindness should save us. And so we ourselves can look at the Lord Jesus Christ and say, what are you doing? I'm a dead dog. Children of wrath, and yet you saved me. Verse 11 and 12, then Ziba said to the king, according to all um, that my lord the king commands his servant, you so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate, no, I'm sorry, I got ahead of myself, sorry. Verse nine and 10, then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, all that belonged to Saul and to all his house, I have given to your master's grandson. 
and you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. What is this text now telling you? It's telling you right there that Ziba is a rich man. Many sons, servants, and he'll have pl plenty of folks to help him do the job. And so here's David's plan. He gets them together. He huddles them up and he says, Ziba, you and your large family go to the tribe of Benjamin and you work Saul's former estate. Mephibosheth, you're going to stay right with me in the tribe of Judah, reside in Jerusalem, and you're going to live off the money from that land. Ziba's response is commendable. Verse 11 and 12, Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Look up here. I think what the Bible's telling us is he's one of the king's sons at this point. If you will, it's a, it's a bit of an adoption language. He's going to sit here and he's not going anywhere. This is David's boy. Verse 12, and Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah or Micah, and all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem for he ate always at the king's table regularly now he was lame in both his feet. So as I said, I think what we see here is a picture of Mephibosheth as like one of the king's sons. Now, if you will, in David's mind, let's use some holy imagination for the moment. What's going on in David's mind as this is happening? Flashback, 1 Samuel 23. The last time David saw Jonathan, Jonathan goes to encourage David at Horish, and this is a quote and he encouraged him in God. Moy and the rest of y'all, great song here today, that, hey, our rejoicing is in the Lord. When we find ourselves going into depression and sadness, remember to constantly remind ourselves of that. It's difficult, it's awful, and it might take a long time to get out of, but constantly remind yourself in the Lord, in the Lord, in the Lord. And so that's what, that's what Jonathan does. He encouraged him in God. Do not be afraid, he told him, because the hand of Saul, my father, will not find you, and you will be king over Israel, and I'll be next to you. And you can imagine him saying it like that. And by the way, you know, I might steal your throne. No, I'm kidding. I don't think he told him that. But he said, hey, I'm going to be right next to you, but you'll be king. And David now must consider... The Lord has not ordained this. The Lord has not ordained for me to have my best friend with me. But I'm going to have the next best thing. I'm going to have his boy with me. Can't help but wonder, even as he looked into his eyes, as he saw Jonathan as well, the gleam in his eyes. This is Jonathan's son. Well, how much we are like Mephibosheth, I don't want you to miss this. In at least five ways, at least five, there's many more. If the Holy Spirit has given you other ways, then certainly take them. Number one, separated. We are separated from our king because of our sinful ancestor, Adam. And don't get this, don't miss this, in our own sin as well. So are we sinners because we sin 
or do we sin because we are sinners? The answer is yes. Our first father, Adam, it's in his loins and it's carried on to us. And yet at the same time, we also sin. But we're separated before the Lord should bring us to himself. Number two, hiding. We're hiding from the king. And yet, what does he do? He seeks us out and he fetches us. Romans 5, 8 puts it this way, but God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. As I heard a person say a while back, while the weapons were in our hands, he sent his son. Weapons against God, he sent his son to come and die for us. Number three, we are restored. The Lord took us from a place of lost honor where we were barren and Lodibar, and he brings us back to a place of not just restored honor, but better than restored. Number four, we are adopted. We're adopted. You see, we become the king's sons. We sit next to these wonderful Jewish people like Moses and, and Jacob and Joshua, and yet we always are cognizant. First Peter 2.10 you were once not a people, but you now are the people of God. You did not receive mercy, but now you have received mercy. You see, due to the king's loving kindness, but yet note this, the king's loving kindness is, is based upon a covenant made before we were ever even born. To quote an old song that some of you might be familiar with, I used to hear that God loves people more than anything, I used to sing that, and it certainly has got a lot of truth to it. And yet at the end of the day, does the Lord love you more than anything? No. And you better be glad he doesn't. Because ultimately, we see that God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, that triunal love that they have amongst the three of them is, is a bigger love than even for us. And we see that God made his covenant with his son before time even began. And so if you were in Christ, look at here. You're in wrapping paper. You're the gift. As you look in the mirror, you go, I ain't a very good gift. I get it. Me too. But the fact of the matter is the Lord is making us more and more look like his son, Jesus Christ. Because of that deal that was set up before time even began, you were included so much so that your name was written in the book of life at what time? According to Revelation, before time even began. And the Lord would give you salvation at a particular time and place and restore to you to himself. And by the way, just as a side note, that should give you hope. If some of you have unbelieving parents or children or wayward, once again, I think the book has been written, but it hadn't been read yet. You haven't experienced it yet. The Lord might bring them to himself even at the last moment of life. Either way, the Lord's more merciful than you and I. So we are adopted. And number five, did you catch the very end of this passage in 2 Samuel 9? That the very last line, I'll quote it again. Now, he was lame in both his feet. That doesn't sound like he lived happily ever after. No, I think it's there on purpose, written by the Spirit. You see, Mephibosheth's disability was a constant reminder of God's grace. Lame in both feet. And look, I'm sitting at the king's table. 
Charles Spurgeon put it this way, our deformity shall not rob us of our privileges. Lameness is no bar to sonship. A king's table is a noble hiding place for lame legs. And at the gospel feast, we learn to glory in infirmities because the power of Christ resteth upon us. You see, even as we look at our sin, our own disability, we're like, hey, it's grace. It's grace. Tommy Nelson did a sermon on this a while back. I thought it was really good from Denton Bible Church. And he, he compared David's sons of note in the scripture compared to Mephibosheth. And I want you to catch this. This is fascinating. Amnon, David's firstborn son, guilty of committing many heinous sins that we won't talk about today. Absalom, his secondborn, murders Amnon, commits treason, and then commits more heinous sins. We see in Adonijah's life, he tries to steal the throne that God had clearly set aside for Solomon. And finally, even Solomon, who started so well, becomes an idolater at the end of his life. He's building temples and altars for other gods. Uh, Tommy puts it this way, David was 0 for 4 on his leading kids. And yet here we have Mephibosheth, a son that did not come from his own loins. And yet what is he in one word? He's faithful. By God's grace, he's faithful. 2 Samuel 19, just a quick story. Absalom steals David's throne. The whole time David is away, Mephibosheth will not bathe. He does not cut his hair. He does not care for his feet. It's, it's almost like he says, if my king suffers, I suffer. Ziba lies later on, it's my understanding. He lies to David saying Mephibosheth was trying to take back the kingship for the house of Saul after Absalom's rebellion, David questions Mephibosheth and he sets the story straight and says to David, note what he says, do what is good in your sight. For all my father's house was nothing but dead men before my Lord, the King. Yet you have set your servant among those who ate at your own table. What right do I have yet that I should complain any more to the King? Do what is good in your sight. Faithful. I would, I would go so far as to say Mephibosheth was David's best son. Well, in conclusion, everything that Saul has lost, the Lord restores, and he gives it to Mephibosheth. Everything Adam lost, the Lord restores and gave it to us. 1 Peter 5.10, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Why did David restore all of this to Mephibosheth? Because of the covenant made with his best friend, Jonathan. Now you thought I was talking about David and Mephibosheth today, didn't you? I was talking about y'all. Why did God restore to us all that was originally Adam's? It's because of the covenant he made with his best friend, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Let me tell you what, if you don't yet know Jesus, the Son of David, as your Lord and Savior, I implore you today to come to him. You need to recognize this, that you are a big sinner. Even your best acts are like filthy rags, and the situation gets worse. The wages of sin is what? Death. 
Not just physical death, because we all die, but eternal death in a place called hell. So my encouragement to you today is recognize these things and know that God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, into the world to live the perfect life you and I couldn't live. He lived it perfectly, and then he died the most heinous death that you and I really could never die. Even if we did die, we're not paying for any sins. That's why Jesus came. And somebody, people might say, well, I know, that's why we celebrate Easter, you know, it's resurrection, that's why we celebrate Christmas, he was born. That's not a Christian. A true believer is one who comes to the place in life that God gives him faith and repentance and he's born again. He realizes that he is a sinner and he is trusting in Jesus Christ alone for his salvation. And let me tell you all this, one day Jesus Christ is gonna rip the skies open. And he's going to grant salvation, not just spiritual, but he's already given us that, but physical salvation. And these hands, as Spurgeon put it, will one day, these same ones, will be able to embrace the Lord Jesus Christ. Remade, and God's going to make, Jesus is going to make all things new. He's coming soon. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for your grace. We thank you for your great mercy in our lives. I pray for anybody in here today. Would you grant them eternal life even today? Maybe some of these little kids need to hear this. Maybe somebody who has just wandered in. Lord, would you play, please, in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, give them a new heart. Do your great heart surgery, taking out the heart of stone and putting in the heart of flesh. And Lord, would you do it today in your kindness? We thank you for what you've done in our own lives. We are all Mephibosheths, disabled, and yet because of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are now in Christ, the Son of David. Lift all these things to you, Lord. And for the rest of us that already know Christ, Lord, would you help us to live that way? Help us to tell others about Jesus Christ. In your Son's name we pray it, amen.